Welcome to Knocking Doors Down. My name is Jason. My name is Mikey. Mikey, the proverbial Robin to my Batman, except a kick-ass Robin, not the silly pants Robin. I'm talking like the Nightwing-ish for all the comic book geeks like me and the people that don't give a shit. He's just badass. What up? (laughs) So today, uh, Mikey, I got an opportunity to talk with a really cool gentleman, very interesting man doing good work. His name is Mike Cameron. He's a writer, he's a speaker, a philanthropist, an ultra marathoner too. He did 100 miles in 24 hours. Damn. I mean, just a total stud of a a person. Jack of all trades, huh? Yeah, he went through some serious uh, emotional adversities, you know, from a car accident, which he's going to talk about, to um, a lady that he was very deeply in love with who was uh, murdered by an ex in a relationship of hers. Oh, wow. What he had to go through with that, also working for a company that... um, you know, he didn't know was part of a uh, Ponzi scheme and, um, you know, it was a lot of ruin there. So this is a guy that's constantly rebuilt himself in his life. And through it all, he, he found stuff about the hindrance of men emotionally. Uh, you know, we talk a little bit about anger and how that seems to be one of the only emotions that men can express. Right. And so, he, you know, it's really fascinating stuff. We get into a little bit. He's got an awesome book that I just had come in. I got the uh, uh, paperback via um, Amazon, and it's called Becoming a Better Man. When something's got to change, maybe it's you. Mm-hmm. We also get into uh, his hashtag, hashtag make beautiful shit happen. Okay. So the cool story about where that comes from, and it does have to do with the lady that he was deeply in love with that unfortunately no longer here due to domestic violence. Really beautiful man, and it was a really moving conversation. There's a couple parts in there where, uh, you know, from from some of the tear-jerking stuff, I got a little choked up, and then we shared some really cool moments that is just amazing positivity that includes our love for rock music. And right, so right. Share some cool stories there. But uh, if you guys haven't checked it out yet at our, our official uh, social media pages, just search uh, Knocking Doors Down on Instagram and Facebook. And we also posted an open door episode of it on Tuesday, if you have yet to listen. But uh, Mikey, uh, Carlos uh, Vieira, his wife, Asia, and myself, uh, since the quarantine has been stretched out till now, at least the 30th of April. April 30th. Son (laughs) of a bitch, man. (laughs) Just, you know, bored as hell. I can't tell you how many times I've watched The Office and then forced to watch The Tiger King. <laughs> it's Ozark's done. Got to wait another year for that. Hopefully we're not still in quarantine, but right. shit at this rate, you never know. Stay indoors, people. Yeah, we just want to get through this as soon as possible. But with it, you know, um, Carlos just, he came down. He's like, hey, let's talk about this. Let's get out there and let's get other people engaged. Is it some of the, the behavior, and I don't mean that, you know, but just, just things going on that... Um, with this all, boredom can set in and maybe just some not good things, sleeping patterns being bad. You know, he expressed uh, drinking a little more than he he had wanted to, and it kind of just that wasting of time. So we've all thrown out a challenge, which started yesterday, of uh, how we're going to overcome stuff. So me, it's the tobacco. I'm totally fiending. I have a headache. If I sound moody, I am. <laughs> Excuse him. It's just the withdrawals. Mine was alcohol. Not a drop of alcohol till April 30th. No, 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 no. The first uh, April, the first of May. May. You have to go all the way through. Okay. All right. Fine. Until May. And all the way through till May. So, you know, we're putting this out there, uh, joining the conversation, hashtag KDD challenge. 
and uh, go to the social media pages and engage with us there. Tell us what you're doing. Maybe you've been doing positive things, and what is that? And maybe it's uh, some things that you're wanting to change. So right now it's a good opportunity that uh, these things are amplified. Why not take advantage of it? Why not better yourself? Challenge yourself. So join us and engage. Let us know. We want to hear what you guys are doing to better yourselves as well. All right, now it's time for my interview with Mike Cameron. Welcoming to Knocking Doors Down is uh, Mike Cameron. Mike is, uh, well, he's a Canadian, and that's where my family comes from, eh? So, uh, you know, good to speak with you, a writer, a speaker, a philanthropist, and an ultramarathoner, which is totally awesome. I want to get into that, but... uh, Mike, you, you know, you've written a, a book that um, I'm, I've got ordered here, Becoming a Better Man. When something's got to change, maybe it's you. And uh, it's so poignant for me to speak to you at this time because I'm kind of in that phase. There is no more blaming anyone else. It's the man in the mirror. Let's get some action. And uh, as you would say it, hashtag make beautiful shit happen. So uh, yes. welcome. Thanks, man. I, I'm uh, I'm thrilled to be here. It's uh it's great to be able to have these conversations and, and share stories uh, across a, a wide arena. So, no, I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, no, we appreciate it. Well, Mike, let's talk about uh, um, kind of Mike uh, Cameron growing up and, and some of the things that, that, that have led to your life. So, uh, you know, family, family, a little bit of family background. What was Mike like as a kid and a teenager? Yeah, well, uh, so Mike Mike wasn't so great as a as a teenager. I, I grew up in a in a fairly uh, religious household. Um, you know, had just perfection when it comes to sort of family bliss. Mom and dad have been married for fifty some odd years. Yeah, uh, now and um, you know, dad worked, mom worked part time to stay home and take care of us. Uh, and for whatever reason, I, I've always been a guy that that kind of likes to march to the beat of his own drum and uh when i was turned 13 i uh, started going off the rails i was doing very well in in uh in school and then mm-hmm. when i hit uh, high school or junior high um the challenge wasn't there and so i things kind of went off the rails and i started doing drugs and drinking and got into you know hanging with the wrong crowd got into some petty theft and that kind of stuff and and when mom and dad were kind of at their their wits end and they didn't know what to do with me, they um, they shipped me off to Australia. Oh wow! It's uh, yeah, it's kind of funny now when I, I talk about this with my kids who are nineteen and seventeen <laughs> now, and and they laugh. So so wait 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 a minute. Get, let me get this straight. Grandma and grandpa sent you to a penal colony. <laughs> well, not exactly. Not exactly. But, <laughs> but uh, my my mom's brother. Mum, uh, mum was born a missionary's kid in Taiwan. Oh wow! Okay. And uh, her brother, my uncle John, was kind of of the same ilk when he was a teenager, and he got into all kinds of trouble, ran away from home, uh, jump ship. He he stowed away on a boat, jump ship, <laughs> literally in, in Australia. Yep. Yeah. He uh, he crashed his boss's car in Hong Kong. Rather than stay and face the music. He went out drinking with a bunch of sailors that happened to be in port. They said, well, why don't you come back to Australia with us? So so he jumped on a boat wow. and uh, ultimately made a life for himself in Australia. And he ended up doing extremely well. He, uh, he busted his ass, um, ended up buying into the fishing company that he worked for. Long story short, he became a 50% owner of a multi-million dollar business and, and did exceptionally well. So when mom and dad said, hey, how'd you like to go live with uncle John? 
I thought, oh, that's perfect. Uncle John was the black sheep rebel of the family, multimillionaire, yeah. done well. It's like, yeah, that's my jam. <laughs> and uh, yeah, for, for me, that was that was kind of the, the turning point in my life. Uncle John, you know, he we worked 10 hour days working on the boats and uh, but he'd reward me with a beer at the end of the day. You know, right. I, was, I was 16 when I went down, 17 when I came home. And uh, yeah, it was it was a game changer for me. And the other thing that happened down there is I ended up getting into a really bad car accident. I was um, in a coma for, for four days. Uh, Mom ended up flying over just because they weren't sure I was going to come out. Um, And after three weeks in the hospital, I ended up, I turned around and and came home and uh, you know, what you thought would maybe be a bit of a wake up call. I, I think at that time, like I said, I was 17 years old. Uh, I think that just proved to me that I was freaking invincible. Um, <laughs> yes. So, so it didn't. So it didn't necessarily change a lot of my behavior. Although uh, Uncle John definitely instilled a work ethic in me that I that I'm not sure I had before. Right. Um, but yeah, that was that was definitely a turning point uh, in my life in my teens. So that that's kind of where I came from. Yeah. Well, and and I and I think that's great that you bring up a work ethic. I know. For uh, me and if, uh, if those that have listened to some some previous episodes, that um, you know, I come from a background of addiction, of course, uh, alcoholism personally myself. Uh, but the one thing I did have instilled in my background was that work ethic, and and that's such an important thing. And I think you having had that moment of work ethic definitely led to uh, a lot of what you're doing now. Um, but you know, yeah, it's it's. Absolutely. That was a game changer for me. You know, again, when I got home, I, I, you know, I dropped out of high school when I was 15, 16. So like I dropped out in grade nine. Um, So no education, no real prospects for uh, much of a future. So, you know, when I was 18, I saw there was a a garden supply company that was, that was hiring um, and they paid relatively well for the time. (laughs) I mean, I I think it was probably 10 bucks an hour or something like that. But it was an, it was enough to buy me beer for the weekend and uh, the odd bag or whatever it was that I, <laughs> I felt like at the time. And you know, at, at that point in my life, that was what really mattered. And uh, I I applied for and got the job. And um, yeah, little did I know, I think the, I think the the job description was warehouse worker. Right. Turns out I was I literally bagged shit <laughs> uh, for a living. So I I was bagging steer manure for a garden supply. Uh, company. Uh, and and again, the work ethic kicked in there. So, you know, I worked in the soil plant, we were bagging potting soil and, and manure, and I worked really hard. And we, we'd actually set records for how many uh, skids or pallets of, of potting soil we, we could put together in a day. And ultimately, we worked my way up driving a truck, then into the or into the warehouse, then driving a truck and uh, eventually got into into the sales game. Uh, in in garden supplies and and that for me was a real eye opener and I started to realize at that point that was I, I kind of had the the first little glimpse of you know what I talk about a lot now and and that's right. that you know my customers bought on emotion mm-hmm. um, because I can assure you nobody buys steer manure because they want to own a bag of shit, right? <laughs> no, they buy you're it. right. They buy it because they want the feeling 
that they're ultimately going to get from that when they can plant a beautiful garden and have their own vegetables grow or their own beautiful right. flowers grow. So they want that feeling that shit is ultimately going to give them. Um, and, and, and so that was kind of my, my first introduction into uh, recognizing that, you know, our emotions really drive our behavior. And, and as I got so. further into sales, ultimately I, I sort of outgrew the garden supply game and um, I played hockey with a guy that was um, having fun, making a lot of money uh, selling financial products. And, and yeah. so I, so I, yeah, so I got into that and um, again, started doing a little bit more research into how our brains work and how behavior happens so that I could become a better sales guy. Uh, and then sort of my next lesson was when I was 26 and I walked into the Porsche dealership thinking I was a baller. And uh, I tell you, Bob, the sales guy there, he certainly knew that we buy on emotion. <laughs> when he sat me yeah. in that canary yellow Porsche with the top down and he says, how does that feel? Right. I said, man, I feel like a baller right now. And right. At, 20, at 26 years old, I bought a Porsche and I can guarantee you there's nothing logical about buying a Porsche when you're 26. It's all emotion. emotion. Yes. Yeah. Um, Cause you do. And then at that point you're wanting to project certain things and uh, you know, we're at, we're at that age as men where we're trying to uh, entice a potential, you know, mate and partner and all those things and uh, being the cock of the walk, so to speak. And uh, so it, you're in the financial game. Um, is that where we kind of continued and then, eventually what what, what yeah. was going on there yeah so that um again um a bit of a game changer so i so i worked really hard there i did extremely well uh in there and in fact the company i worked for offered to allow me to move out to alberta i was in british columbia okay um canada and uh, they needed to set up they were doing a bunch of financing out in in alberta which is one province over one you know state over yeah, yeah. um and uh, they were looking for somebody to go there. And of course, Vancouver, British Columbia is a beautiful yes, place to live. So they didn't have a lot of people putting their hand up. And of course, me being the, the badass baller that I was, I said, <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll go. Um, like, this is an opportunity. Again, I was 26 at the time. Um, they were looking to expand. And I said, hell yeah, I'll go. And um, yeah, little did I know. So I, so I moved myself and and my girlfriend at the time out to Edmonton which is you know about an 11 hour drive from Vancouver so right. it's an hour and a half flight kind of thing so so not super far but but not next door um and one month after we sort of settled in here and set up shop uh rented an apartment downtown um the financial institutions commission, the regulator yeah, yeah. Uh, for finances in British Columbia shut down the company. Turns out $240 million Ponzi scheme. Oh my Lord. So yeah. One of the largest mortgage frauds in BC history. So, you know, again, a little bit of a, a kick in the nuts yeah. uh, at that time, that was 1997. And uh, I looked at uh, my fiance at the time and I said, well, what do you want to do? We can go back to Vancouver where my name's going to be mud and yeah. um, start over, or we can stay here and, and start over. And, uh, you know, I joke now I'm on year 23 of my five-year plan. That was <laughs> kind of what, that was what we agreed to. We thought, well, you know what, let's, let's give it five years and, and see what happens. And, and of course, you know, we, we ended up having kids and, 
um, you get settled in and I built a business and yeah, so it's, it's just, was that on your psyche a really just challenging thing when you are connected to something that, that was, uh, you know, I obviously I can relate to you and getting into some trouble and, uh, you know, the, the, the headstrong cocksure kind of attitude at a younger age. But when something like that occurred, what what did it do you emotionally, being that we're talking about emotional impact upon mm-hmm. upon people with different things? Yeah, I mean, it was devastating. And, and the amount of when I reflect on it now and I think of the amount of shame attached to that, because, you know, again, at, at 24, 25, 26 years old, it wasn't like I had a huge network. So the people right. I tapped into uh, to invest with us were my parents, my aunts and uncles, my friends, my family. Yeah. Um, so these people that lost money, you know, I had to field phone calls uh, for months, like what's going on, what's happening, am I getting my money back? Um, and sadly, the answer for most of them was was no. So, wow. yeah, it was it was a really really difficult time, and and um, you know, trying to regain my footing. Um, I had again, I could tell you stories for hours. I had another sort of bit of a, a kick in the nuts trying to set up a, a new business yeah. out here, and the, and the regulator wouldn't sort of let me do it the way I wanted to because of what happened in in BC. Um, so ultimately, again, that work ethic kicked in and I happened to, I rented uh, an apartment from a guy that was a cribber, which mm-hmm. is concrete work for basements. And uh, the house, housing was just going like nuts at that time. So um, I had no income. And so I said to him, I said, you know, you've got more work than, or you got more work than you can handle. I said, how about I'll trade you, I'll work for you. Um in exchange for rent. And, and so, so he let me do that. And, and I, I still remember, uh, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm not a manual labor kind of guy. <laughs> That's just not my jam. Uh, I, I remember being on site one day and, you know, I'm swinging a hammer and I'm just clumsy and awkward. And, and I look over and, and there's Aaron and he's sort of leaning on his shovel and he looks at me and he says, Hey, broker, how you doing over there? And he was just had this big shitty face, and I just thought, "Screw you, man! Screw you!" But you know, I stuck it out, and I, I worked for him for, and th- and this was, this was December in Edmonton, so oh we're talking temperatures of, you know, minus twenty yeah. Celsius. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so not pleasant to be working outside. Anyways, I I did that for for. I don't know, three or four months while, while we got everything sort of sorted out and, and, and settled. And, um, but you know, again, that work ethic kicks in and, and you just, you do what you gotta do. Right. Right. So you go through, through all that phase, um, uh, you, uh, you're already in fatherhood at this point. And what is the business that you uh, started uh, that you got, you know, rolling and, and, you know, that repairing of your reputation and all those yeah, things. So I, so I started a, uh, a mortgage brokerage company. Okay. Um, yeah. Back in, in, uh, well, I, I went to work for the banks for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent five years working for the bank in between there after, after sort of that happened, it was kind of like, you know what, new face in a new town, let's get a brand name behind you. Yeah. Uh, so I went and worked for one of the big banks. Uh, and then eventually, uh, about five years later, I, I started my own uh, mortgage brokerage uh, company. Mm-hmm. And that was t- 
2003 and I grew that from one man shop to ultimately uh, at its peak, um, we had 24 franchises across the country. Holy heck. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I, so I just actually sold that uh, last year. Wow. Wow. Well, congratulations on that, you know, work Thank ethic you. and stuff. Because, uh, I mean, that's what it takes to grow anything. And, um, you know, one of the selfish reasons I wanted to talk to you as a part of, of, of this project with Knocking Doors Down and our agenda of, of outreach and relating to people different stories and different adversities and overcoming it um, uh, is definitely inspirational. But uh, let's um, let's segue now, Mike, to um, uh, one of the key areas and, and points of your life that, that I know had a great impact and has um, led you to a lot that you're doing now with Purposeful Living in, in 2015. Um, you know, your, your girlfriend um, was, was murdered by an ex-boyfriend. And, yeah. um, yeah. And, uh, boy, I, I, I don't know how to, you know, send condolences. I know those things sit on our heart, but, um, you haven't sat and rested on it. You've turned it into something positive. No, you know, it, it was, um, it's, it's one of those things that when, when crisis happens, when tragedy yeah. strikes, you know, you, you've got options, um, and it's about making that choice. So yeah, my wife and I split up in 2012, um, and then ultimately I met Colleen, um, and in, uh, October of 2015, uh, October 2nd, 2015, she woke up at my place. Uh, we didn't live together, but she, she, uh, woke up at my place. She taught yoga every Friday morning at 6am. So she got up early, went to leave my place and ultimately never made it to yoga. Um, her ex ambushed her, um, she had stopped at her place to pick up some some gear for yoga and uh, he ambushed her on her driveway and ultimately shot her uh and killed himself and um yeah that was you know that when that cop finally got a hold of me uh around midday on friday i just i didn't know what had happened i just knew i couldn't get a hold of her and so you know your mind starts spinning and and making up these stories and then it's you're trying to come back to the you know what maybe her phone's dead maybe yeah something's going on with the kids maybe 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 and then yeah I got that phone call and and uh, the police came and met me where I was and uh, across the street to to go see uh, what was going on and the the RCMP officer uh, met me in the middle of the street and he just looked at me in in square in the eye and he said three words that would change my life forever he looked at me and he just said Colleen is dead um and and that was it and then you know it's this overwhelm of jesus fuck this cannot yeah. be real yeah this cannot be real and and as i sat there in in the back of that police car uh, again at that point i didn't know what had happened all i knew was she was gone so they didn't tell me that he had killed her and of course, they're grilling me with questions. Right. Where were you last night? What time did you finish dinner? Did anybody follow you? Did you notice anything odd? And all I can think about was what is going on? What is going on? This can't be real. This can't be real. This can't be real. And then your mind starts flipping to, holy crap, like, am I a suspect? Yeah. And then I thought, holy shit. Well, of course I'm a suspect. Like, I was the last guy to see her. Yeah. Um, and they wouldn't tell me what had happened. They wouldn't answer any of my questions. They just kept grilling me. And, and it, it was 
yeah, it was just unbelievable. And then when they finally handed me that business card that had victim services uh, on the back, that was kind of when it sank in. And I realized that, yeah, this was probably about the most real thing that I would ever have to deal with in my, in my life. And, um, you know, that the subtitle of the book, when something's got to change, maybe it's you, yeah. uh, where, where that came from was, you know, ultimately I'd have friends and family sort of surround me. And, and I was fortunate in that I had a very strong network around me and they'd pat me on the back and they'd shake their hat, head and they'd say, you know, something's got to change, Mike, something's got to change. And, and that, and that became my mantra for a while. And I'd get yeah. up every morning and I'd look in the mirror and I'd shake my head and I'd say, something's got to change. And then, you know, at one point I looked in the mirror and I said, something's got to change. And I, and I added three words that shifted everything. And I just said, maybe it's you. Something's got to change. Maybe it's you, Mike. Maybe you're the guy that needs to do something about this. Yeah. And uh, so I started diving in to, you know, what can we do around violence prevention? Yeah. Um, and I had a lot of people that wanted me to go after the justice system. I mean, Colleen had filed all the right paperwork. She had a restraining order against this guy, you know, done all the, yeah. the right things from a procedural standpoint, yet so many failings uh, from a justice level. But when I looked at that, I just thought, you know, how do we build a better restraining order? That's really, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a ruptured jugular. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so for me, it really became more about how do we prevent men like that from existing in the first place? And then when I go back to that whole, everything I've studied for the last 20 years about how we make decisions based on emotion, you know, here was a guy that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. Yeah. You know, then we get into the, the fact that as guys, I mean, we're actively discouraged from exploring our emotions. It, and Very true. If we, don't, if, if we don't understand the underlying emotions that drive the decisions we make, we have zero chance of living a purposeful life. Um, so that's, you know, where I started going, you know, I met with the justice minister, I met with all kinds of different advocates in, in different arenas. And, and that was kind of where I landed. And then so in 2017, I did a TEDx called Redefining Badass, the yeah. way men think about strong is wrong. Um, and uh, last year, I founded an organization called Connected Men. Um, we create spaces for guys to get together and literally practice feeling. You know, I mean, I, I think it's widely accepted. If you want to get physically fit and you want to grow some muscles, we go to the gym a couple of times yeah. a week. Yeah, because um, I grew yeah. up in the I grew up in the era of you know, and I'm I'm six three. Uh, you know, maybe on a good day, uh, soaking wet, 180 pounds. But I grew up in that era of loving professional wrestling and and you know the Hulk Hogan's and the Ultimate Warriors and stuff. And I know that that was a perception for me of a long uh, for a long time. And I'll just never be one of those guys, and it's perfectly okay. Um, and then as I talked with you uh, prior to our recording, you know, going through a divorce and then uh, burying myself, uh, you know, becoming a single dad of two, uh, one child who's on the autism spectrum scale, uh, and burying myself in the bottle, uh, bottom of uh, beer bottles and, and beer cans, and um, not just keeping everything totally inside. And I found that I became incredibly 
enraged, um, you know, and it was more dealing with it was self-inflicted harm, thank goodness, than ever harming anyone else. But, uh, you know, I couldn't agree more that we've gotten into this thing where masculinity, uh, the perception of it is that there is no expression of emotion. And I well, except except for anger, except for anger. Right. We're, we're allowed to be angry, but that's right. it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so again, you, you know, we, we, we do all these things to get physically fit yet we do nothing to manage our emotional fitness. And again, the stats bear this out, you know, violence everywhere. Um, suicide rates in men are ridiculous. Like there's, there's just so much. So for me, the solution to a lot of this stuff is the same. I mean, emotionally connected men don't fucking kill people. Yeah. Right. Like, so, so if we can allow that to happen and, and teach other men to allow that to happen, things just get so much better. We become better fathers. We become better partners. We become better leaders. We become better employees. You know, we just become better human beings and life becomes so much richer and more vibrant. And that's yeah. one of the things for me, you know, I cry at the drop of a hat. It's really, it's, it's interesting because I am so in tune with how I feel that they, my feelings really come to the surface very easily now because I've practiced that for the last, I'd say probably eight years. Yeah. Uh, and really the last four very intentionally. And, you know, it just makes I call it, you know, living in technicolor versus black and white. Yeah. The, the difference for me. And, you know, we went to a concert. I went to a concert the other day. Um, well, this was a couple of months ago um, with a, with uh, my girlfriend and some friends. And it was one of the most beautiful things. Like it was just the experience for me now watching a concert was it's just, it's so much more alive and I feel so much more, um, you know, my girlfriend's still trying to, Michelle is still trying to understand that Yeah, she strives for that because she sees it in me. And, you know, this particular concert was meaningful. Um, it's a husband and wife duet team. Uh, he had some sexual abuse, uh, when he was a child. And and so he tells his story from stage and in his music and it was just, it was absolutely beautiful. So just being able to experience those events fully is, is amazing. Yeah. And, yeah so. I can, uh, you know, I want to kind of maybe share a story for you that, uh, with you and obviously the audience, but, um, you know, for, for my kids, um, you know, I worked in uh, rock radio for 20 years and, uh, we, uh, my kids got into tool cause my son is, is, you know, he's into mathematics and stuff of that. So I was explaining the complexities of it. My daughter, just, you know, the emotion of it. So took them our first real big concert, other than we saw Trans-Siberian Orchestra when they were much more little and them just being so into it. Uh, my daughter just giving me, they, they, they opened with Fear Inoculum, which is such a brilliant song. My daughter just loves it. And uh, gives me this big hug, and it was a thing emotionally for us three that we really needed a win. And we got that win, and I realized that it was the first concert that I had been to sober 
where I had an emotional impact and it was just like, you know, I'm, I'm finally at the point where I'm starting to feel a lot of these things again. And it, and it's really awesome. And I'm, um, and the reason I kind of wanted to bring that up was recommendations on regulation of emotion though and gauge. What, what did you kind of learn in your process of putting the book together and, and, and developing an emotional in, an intelligence? Yeah. So, well, first off, I got to address your story there. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> I, got, I got goosebumps I listening to that. I, uh, I also love tool. Yeah. Um, that new album is awesome. One of my, one of my friends just posted a, a video, which I haven't watched yet, which I'm going to do as soon as we're done here, uh, which is the drum drummer going um, on Numa. Oh, Danny Carey. Uh, yeah. That song is awesome. Yeah. It's uh, the video is supposed to be incredible. Um, I haven't, I, again, I haven't watched it, but I'm going to do that as soon as, soon as we're done. <laughs> nice. Um, so f for me, uh, what I came up with and I, I sort of broke it down to, so as a guy that speaks professionally for a living, yeah. um, you know, I always look at how do, how do we sort of compartmentalize these things? How do we package these th yeah. things up in a way that's sort of deliverable and, and able to be received? Um, so I use the acronym SOAR. Okay. Slow down open up, open up, uh, accept and reconnect. And, uh, so slow down, obviously just taking a pause, yeah, taking a breath. And I don't think we do that enough. And it's hard to notice things when we're always rushing. Yeah. So, so that first step is just to take that breath, just slow down. And open up. So again, as guys, I think we're very opposed to open ourselves to whatever we're feeling. Yes. So, so there's kind of two components to the open up piece for me. One is a to open to myself and just allow whatever I'm feeling to be there and just be open to that experience, whatever that experience is, whether it's anger, whether it's sadness, whether it's shame, whatever it is, just being open to experiencing that. Yeah. And then the second part is having the courage to share that with, with somebody, whether that's your partner, whether it's a friend, um, and just open up or even your kids. You know, I've, I find, um, that open up piece has been very valuable with me for the kids. You know, there, there's times where, shit's going on in your, in your world. That's got you anxious. You're angry. You're scared. You're nervous about where's my next paycheck coming from with, yeah. you know, this pandemic thing. We just don't know what's going on. Um, and that can impact how we behave with our kids. Maybe we're a little shorter with our kids. So just being able to say, Hey guys, you know what? Right now I'm really stressed. Business isn't going well. I'm struggling a little bit. So I just want you to understand that, you know, this is where I'm at and, and yeah. sharing that with our, with our kids, which, you know, I don't think we do because we're, I, th I think, especially as fathers, yes. I, I think we believe that we have to be the strong ones and we have to show strength. Yeah. But again, that true strength is having the courage to open up and say, Hey kids, you know what? Dad's human too. Right now I'm feeling really sad because what's going on in the world. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's so incredibly encouraging, and I and if there's fathers out there, husband, it, it, a, a man and men in general, to listen to that because I was uh, having a conversation with a friend last night, 
And uh, we got into our fathers, uh, who we, whom we both took away strong work ethics. And that bond, I, I was very fortunate that, uh, you know, my dad did have drug issues uh, for the vast majority of, of my childhood off and on. And he's been sober now almost 20 years. Um, and we didn't really develop a relationship until I hit adulthood and into my about my mid-20s. Um, and I, th- I think it, hopefully any men listening, whether they're a part of that shift that you're talking about, of relaying emotions that it's that it's totally it's it's not just okay it's a great thing and uh, you know upping that value of what uh, fatherhood means um, to our children and what we bring to the table beyond the things of of work ethic and provisions and things of that nature you know I it's I, as a single dad, I've kind of had to pull some of the double duties, and so it's uh, it's been a tough skill set for me to develop to to do that. I've had to eat some of my own shit and apologize and go to my daughter. I'm sorry, I was short with you. That wasn't okay with me uh, of me to do. I'm, um, you know, dad's just struggling right now, trying to make ends meet, and uh, you know, little underwater, and I apologize, you know, and so that owning of those, that emotional reaction that had nothing to do with my children at all. Right. Well, yeah. And the, and the connection that that builds between anybody when, when you can do that. So again, the connected men, we meet once a week and, and we share with each other and, yeah. the, and the bond that gets created with these guys when we, you know, we have different themes. We talk about different things. And sometimes it's, we talk about childhood stuff, you know, sure. a couple of guys have had not so great parents, but um, yeah, the, the connection when we can open up to others, the, the connection is just unbelievable. Absolutely. So that was the slow down, open up. The third is accept. Um, and I think this is where a lot of us go sideways is we don't want to accept how we're feeling. We get into this, well, I shouldn't be feeling that way because X, Y, and Z. And then it becomes this big spiral of beating the crap out of yourself because I feel shitty. Well, I shouldn't feel shitty. I've got everything. My life is great. Why do I feel shitty? I shouldn't feel shitty. And so you feel shittier and shittier and shittier and shittier and you spiral into this hole. So just instead accepting, you know what? However I feel right now is how I feel right now. Yeah. Doesn't matter why. It just is what it is and just accepting that. And then the R I use reconnect rather than connect. I use reconnect because again, we weren't born emotionally disconnected. We've been conditioned yeah. to become that way. Yeah. You know, if, if if you've got kids, you remember when our kids are toddlers, they have no problem expressing emotions <laughs> whatsoever. Yes. So <laughs> You know, we, we weren't born emotionally disconnected. We've been conditioned to become that way. So when you can reconnect with that emotional self, you know, that's when, like I said, that you get into that. Now you're living in technicolor yeah, versus yeah. black and white. And so that's kind of the framework um, that, that I follow. And, you know, there's a few things when I, after Colleen was killed, uh, a friend of mine, I'd started practicing yoga and meditation probably eight years ago. Okay. Um, and uh, a friend of mine from Montreal across the country, who's a, a yogi, um, sent me a, a link to a, a work by the by a fellow by the name of Ramdas. And I don't know if you're familiar with Ramdas. I am not. 
he's an American spiritual leader. He recently passed away. Um, he wrote wrote the book called uh, "Be Here Now." Okay. Um, so the the link he sent me was it's called a letter to Rachel. So if you Google Ramdas and a letter to Rachel, you can find it. And it's short. It's maybe five paragraphs. Um, but in this letter, he was writing to the parents of a young girl who had been murdered. Um, and there were kind of three things, and I've read that letter hundreds of times since, since Colleen was killed. Um, there were kind of three big takeaways for me. And the first was, he said, who among us is strong enough to remain conscious through such teachings as you are receiving? Probably very few. Right. And when I read that, I just thought, you know what? I need to, you know, I, I need to remain conscious. I can't crawl into a bottle. I can't, you know, all these other options yeah. of numbing and suppressing and, you know, we could become workaholics. We could bury ourselves, curl up into a little ball in our room and isolate ourselves. We could drink, we could do drugs. Um, so when I read yeah. that, I just thought, you know, how many individuals in this world get to have this experience that I'm experiencing right now? And again, not that it's an experience I would wish upon my worst enemy, but it was happening to me. And who yeah. the fuck am I to squander that? Right. Um, so that was kind of the first thing. The second piece I took out of that letter was um, he said, uh, now is the time to let your grief find expression, no false strength. Um, for your grief is Rachel's legacy to you. Um, so again, just allowing myself to feel what I was feeling rather than to quote unquote, be strong. Right. Um, and, and sort of bury that. And then the third piece he in that letter that he said was, um, our rational minds can never understand what has happened, but our hearts, if we keep them open, will find their own intuitive way. And I, I can't tell you how many times I said, why, 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 why would this happen to her? Why, yeah. why, why? And there's just, there's no answer. Like there's no rational answer and and you can drive yourself nuts trying to find it. So when you get out of your head and into your heart and just let that lead. And like I said, for me, that's led to, you know, I had been working on the book before she was killed, but obviously it changed trajectory yeah. a little bit after that. Um, you know, so, so for me, uh, it was just following my heart and which is ultimately why I sold the business last year. Yeah. Um, you know, which has been a challenge because <laughs> it's, um, you know, it, I, I, you know, I, I did well by it. I, but, sure. uh, you know, it's certainly not, I never have to work again in my life kind of money. Um, and I walked away from what I've known for the last 20 some odd years, yeah. um, to, to really focus on this arena and, and the professional speaking, like I've spoken in sales and leadership for, for 20 years. Um, I get paid fairly well to do that. Um, but it's unknown. And then of course, you know, now with what's going on in the world, yes. um, no, nobody's hiring speakers right now. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny that, that you and I get to talk, Mike, because, you know, I segued out of a near 20 year radio career to uh, step into this amazing opportunity to reach out to people, you know, for much like yourself to, um, give them an opportunity to share their stories and, and my, relate and relay my own to, uh, to inspire and let folks know that they're, they're not alone. And it's, um, 
it's sometimes those bold moves that are necessary as you speak from the heart. Uh, you know, I had many people telling me, how how illogical is this for you to make this kind of a change? You've done this for so long. And I remember a call with my, my dad and my brother. And um, my brother had come down, this was just be- before Christmas last year, and said, if you could do anything, you know, he's a very bold risk taker. It's done very well in life for that very reason. What would it be? And I said, uh, I don't know, I mean, you know, I just love a podcast that has a positive impact. And so when this opportunity came up and I called him, he goes, why are you wasting my time calling me? You've already told me the answer, you know? And, uh, and my dad, who um, it's so beautiful now, the, the man that he's become now that he's not suppressing all of the, the emotions and everything else with uh, substances, he just went, follow your heart, son. What does your heart tell you? And uh, it, was, it was this, enter this journey. Uh, that. That's awesome. Yeah, I love I love that word bold. So my intention for 2020 is to be bold. I've, um, you know, humility is one of the it tops my list of values. Yeah. Uh, and this, so the struggle I have, and especially as a professional speaker and an author, like I need to be self promoting, <laughs> right? Which right. is kind of the antithesis of of humility. So. I tend to downplay my skills a little bit. Um, you know, fortunately, I've got good people around me that remind me, like, you know what, Mike, your shit's good. Like, <laughs> you don't need to shy away from it. Um, so, yeah, my intention for 2020 is is to be bold. And it was actually it was December 23rd, 2019, when the uh, the paperwork was done on the business, which was exactly 16 years to the day that I founded the company. I'll be damned. So. That's yeah, it was, cool. it was kind of ironic. It was the lawyers picked the date. They just said, okay, we'll set a closing date of December 23rd. And I looked at it. It's like, are you kidding me? That's 16 years to the day. That's badass. Uh, so yeah, totally. Mike, now obviously, okay, so you've, you've succeeded at this business and definitely, the, you know, pushed through after these things that could definitely break someone down. Um, but let's talk about another great thing that you're doing. Um, ignore, uh, ignore no more. Run for respect. Can you can you fill people in on on what that's about? Because I think it's just so awesome, and it ties into you doing your 24 hour race, 100 miles. It's just that's that's unfathomable to me right now. But who knows? Maybe I'll be uh be you know keeping correspondence and hey Mike, I did I did 20 miles or something, you know. So fill fill people in on that because I think it's just kick ass. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're always looking at ways of, of reaching and, and in particular men um, and sort of, sort of meeting them where they're at. And as a runner, it just made sense for me to create a community event. So we, we founded my, my current girlfriend and I uh, co-founded the ignore no more run for respect, um, which is a fundraiser and just really a conversation piece to talk about the role that men can have in violence prevention. And again, I talk a lot about these things and just getting connected with your emotional self. So we partner with um, some of the shelters in the city to, to raise funds for them. So we've done each, this is, this will be our fourth year. Uh, We do it in September. So hopefully things have settled down by September. (laughs) Um, And this will be our, our fourth year. Uh, 
but yeah, we've partnered with different charitable organizations and made them sort of the beneficiaries of any, any funds that have been raised. But primarily for me, it's an opportunity to have the conversation and, you know, Hey Mike, why do you have this run? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> and then I get to kick into my, into my story a little bit. And, and of course, you know, the media is pretty quick to pick this stuff up. I'm obviously my story is fairly sensational. Yes. Um, which sadly, you know, in order to sort of spread the good word, sometimes you need a bit of a, a, a sensational sure. story to go with that. So yeah. And running for me has really been a, a big part of my mental health. Um, that focus on being present, you know, when you run a hundred miles, you can't I think about running a hundred miles. You, depending on where you're at, you know, I, I run aid station to aid station, which is usually, you know, maybe 10 miles apart. Right. So all I have to do, all I have to do is run 10 miles at a time. Right. I just have to do that 10, 10 times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but if I think about, if I try and think about running a hundred miles, I can't do it. Sure. I can't run a hundred miles, Sure. but I can run 10 miles and I can do that over and over and over and over again. So, yeah. So for me, the, the running is just a natural tie in. To, to all of this. And I think anybody that's listening, depending, you know, no matter what you're overcoming can, can tie in what your perspective on the running is. It reminds me of uh, talking with, uh, you know, folks in, in AA, you know, one day at a time. Well, one set of 10, yep. 10 miles, one set of 10 miles, one set of 10 miles. And at first for me, until it's, it's gotten to the point where it's not even a thought process to pop in my head and go, boy, I'm feeling this emotionally. Yeah, you know, that, that six pack of beer will kill it, which it was never a six pack. It would become a 12 or 18 or a bottle of rum or whatever it was. You know, it's that, that one thing at a time. And it can be that with, with any principle in life. And it's, it's, it's how Absol these nurturing things, you know, help. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I can guarantee you once I, once I get to 80 or 90 miles, it's no longer 10 miles at a time. I'm breaking it down to, I just need to run a hundred steps. Right. And then I run a hundred steps and then, you know, sometimes it gets down to 10 steps, just 10 steps at a time. And then you do that over and over. So you just, it's about narrowing your focus to as short as you need it to be in the moment. And, and, you know, sometimes it's the next 30 seconds. Yeah. All I got to do is get through the next 30 seconds. Um, especially, you know, when shit's blown up. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't think about what's happening tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Right now, I just got to get through the next 30 seconds and I can do that. Yeah. And I can do that again and again and again and again. And, and I, yeah, I think that's a, a big piece. You know, I just published, a, um, I started a YouTube channel uh, in earnest this year. And, and uh, so I just published, a, you know, how to manage anxiety where I, where I talk about um, that sore principle a little bit. And, okay. You know, Obviously, in in this uh, environment, there's uh, there's a lot of anxiety. There going really on right is. Now. There really is. Now, people for the YouTube channel, is it linked at mikecameron.ca? Yeah, if you just go to mikecameron.ca slash YouTube, it'll it'll kick you over there. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, then I'm going to subscribe and check it out because uh, I can be an anxiety ridden person. Ironically, that's not uh, you know what's going on with the coronavirus isn't personally driving my anxiety. But it's so many people that I care about. It is, and I find myself being the the individual um, honorably turned to. 
but then it's kind of, you know, comforting others. And so I've been trying to put out positive tips. So it's, here you go, guys, check, check out this one on anxiety. Um, again, people listening, yeah. it's uh, MikeCameron.ca. Of course, Mike's up there in Canada, if you're wondering why CA. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to know where does hashtag make beautiful shit ah, happen come from? Yes. We got to wrap up with that. I thought you would never ask. Um, so yeah, one of the things Colleen and I used to have a lot of very philosophical conversations, a lot of deep conversations. And one of my favorite conversations with her was on the subject of talent. And, uh, I asked her, I said, you know, what's your, what's your talent? And she replied, she says, well, I, I make things beautiful. And she was an artist, a photographer, yeah. a videographer, a painter, a potter. She absolutely had the knack for finding the beauty in everything and, and making things beautiful. And she turned it around and she said, well, you know, what's your talent? And I kind of hummed and hawed and I said, you know, by all standard accounts, I've, I've been successful, but I'm not sure that there's sort of any one thing that I'm particularly gifted at. I'm not sure that there's any one thing that I, I'm talented at. I said, well, what do you think my talent is? She said, oh, that's easy. She said, you've got a much more useful talent. And I said, oh, what's that? She said, yeah, you make shit happen. I said, oh, okay. As a, as a business guy who prides himself on his work ethic, I kind of like that. So yeah. there you had it. She made things beautiful. I made shit happen. Together, we were going to make beautiful shit happen. I love so, it. So yeah, that day on her driveway, I vowed that I would continue to do my best to make beautiful shit happen in this world. Well, I think you are, good sir, and I appreciate your time very much. My pleasure, my friend. My pleasure. For more on Mike, uh, again, go to MikeCameron.ca. Uh, the book, you can get it there, Becoming a Better Man. When something's got to change, maybe it's you. Uh, subscribe to his YouTube channel. And he just put out a lot of a lot of great stuff. And, um, Mike, I think it's a, a true inspiration for you to overcome these things that life has thrown at you, get a positive perspective on it. And um, I appreciate the vulnerability and most of all your time. Thanks, my friend. Again, my pleasure. And there you have it, Mr. Mike Cameron. Um, check him out, MikeCameron.ca. Uh, just a phenomenal man, Mikey. It was so cool to be able to talk with him. And we had a cool connection there with rock music when I was telling him about when I took my kids to Tool. Right, and, right, right. You know, gave him goosebumps. And he's like, that's just the coolest story. It just... You know, for me, speaking with all these amazing people that I've uh, been able to through the podcast so far, and hopefully, you know, schedules uh, will line up where you're going to be able to be in here and talk with, with them too, with oh, me yeah. uh, more. But uh, Mike, just to switch on guy, make sure we've got it all up at, at our social media. You can go to uh, Knocking Doors Down on Instagram and Facebook. Get connected with Mike, follow what he's doing. Uh, you know, he's just a guy that's coming from his heart on all this stuff and i've started reading his book becoming a better man when something's got to change maybe it's you uh we got that link up for you guys to check out but uh it was really cool to uh to speak with him and see how he took such strong adversity from a car accident that left him in a coma to 
working for a company that uh, essentially turned out to be a Ponzi scheme where even family members of his lost thousands and thousands Jeez, of dollars to I can't even imagine you know rebuilding his life and building a very strong and and positive business to losing um you know his love his lady that was was unfortunately due to domestic violence she was she was murdered and and overcoming that and finding love again and so it, it Mike's a true story of perseverance and that that's the takeaway from it is that uh you know he just kept pushing forward right it wasn't easy and he even said that it wasn't easy there's days it's still not easy but you got to keep going. oh i'm sure keep pushing through man keep on running so uh yeah go check out our uh, social media pages of course we got the kdd challenge up there that's hashtag kdd challenge uh we are going the whole month of april without some of our vices and uh, we're trying to develop some more positive habits. Me, of course, getting off the tobacco, but working on a better diet where I'm, I'm eating not only good food, but I'm eating regularly, you know, at least three meals a day, some healthy snacks in there, cutting back on the caffeine, which I need to do. So uh, it's only day two. I'm a little edgy. It's day two, you know. It's going to be rough, but, you know, if it were easy, everybody would do it. I think we can do it. This Here is for true. support. Here for support. We got this, guys. <laughs> and you, it's a <laughs> no alcohol, right? No alcohol, man. No alcohol. And I'm cool because I normally don't drink during the week anyways. Right. The weekends is what's going to be a little bit tough, but we'll be all right. That's all right. We'll be all right. Well, you just come to the house and we'll just work out that day or something. Exactly. Exactly. We'll Pump some up. iron. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Spotify, or go to kddmediacompany.com. Leave us a a five-star review. Write a review. Leave us some feedback. Tell a friend. Tell a family member. Anyone who needs some uh, good positive inspiration. And if you've got a story, don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media as well. Maybe you've struggled with a great adversity. Could it be addiction, mental, emotional health? Uh, physical challenges, financial challenges. Maybe you went through a tough marriage or a loss of a loved one. We want to hear your stories if you're wanting to help others. So get a get a hold of us, let us know, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you here. Anything else, Mikey? That's it. That'll do it. He's not the best color man in the business for no reason. <laughs>